can see him. The baby's doing well and healthy. So, uh, Cheryl, uh, when I got back this week from a whirlwind trip I had down in California, um, I had a story waiting on my desk that Cheryl had left for me, and I read it. And, and so I texted her this morning, and I said, Cheryl, could you read that story? It was so cool. And so she's going to read it for you guys. Um, it's a story from her work. Cheryl is the, the head social worker over at Salvation Army. And so just as, yeah, you guys definitely should clap for that. That's, that's, that's and, and so this is just a story from the, the week. This happened on Thursday. Um, <clears throat> today, Sam appeared in line for breakfast. He had only the clothes on his back and used a walker to get around. He still had the ID bracelet from his last ER visit on his wrist. Sam was aggressively angry and frightened most of the other clients waiting in the soft, misty rain for breakfast, that, for breakfast to be served. He went on and on about how there was no God and that he had nothing. He was at the bottom. He was not wearing shoes and the no-skid booties from the hospital were covered in dirt and wet from the rain. Sam was angry and started to shout about his problems. It was the kind of rant you learn not to interrupt because it would only add more sound to stir up Sam's drive to yell louder. Sam was consumed by grief of his own dilemma and would never listen to reason. Our driver and longtime volunteer, Kirk, calmly listened and kept the peace for everyone else. Sometimes feeling you are being heard is enough to ease any situation. This morning, there was no reasoning ever conceived by man that could have interrupted Sam's need to explain that he wanted shoes. Unfortunately, he needed size 15 shoes. We never have enough men's shoes to give out and definitely didn't have any size 15. Sam was very irritated about this, and Kirk was doing his best to keep the situation under control when another man approached Sam. This was a quiet, unassuming man who was a regular at meals and lived downtown. He didn't say a word. Rather, he kneeled down in the rain, removed his own shoes, and gave them to Sam. These were a new pair of shoes, Air Jordans. And then he walked home barefoot, silently. This was compassion in its most true form, humble, complete, and awe-inspiring. I told you there is a God, Kirk reminded Sam, and everyone else who saw this event. I told you, Sam. Sam looked down at his feet, his new shoes, and said, yes, I guess there is. <laughs> Thanks. I think we need to pray after that before we hand out the Bibles, okay? <laughs> Father, um, thank you for the testimony of someone who uh, just so simply and so graphically uh, displayed your love and your compassion. And um, Father, I just pray your 
rich blessing on that man. And, and Father, your rich blessing on Sam, just continuing to um, work in his heart and, and draw him to you and into your arms as his father. Father, I, I pray that as we are here this morning together and as we sing songs and as we hear your word, that in the same way you would uh, just call us and compel us to live such lives that uh, boldly and confidently, just simply, quietly, or through words express uh, the love and compassion to a very broken world that's around us. Thank you again, uh, just for your amazing mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and Alex will pass it out. We're going to be in 1 John again today. Chapter 2, verse 28 through 310. And I will start by reading there, 1 John 2, 28. Page 856 in the Bibles that Alex is handing out. It's good to be here today. Um, It's been three weeks um, since I've been here. So, first John two twenty-eight. If you want to follow along while I read, just wonderful passage. Dear children, continue in Him. Continue in Jesus so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, We are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared, Jesus appeared, so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. 
Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Amen. Um, that story probably wasn't a good way for me to start because I was already kind of emotional. So we're going to talk Cindy, my lovely wife, and I um, had a memorable end to our vacation to California. We just returned late Thursday night. We rode um, my Honda Shadow motorcycle down the Washington, Oregon, California coast to Napa, California. Beautiful trip. It was a wonderful time together enjoying God's beauty um, and celebrating my uncle's 100th birthday party. Um, and what, what made it even more fun is the highlight of his birthday party was about halfway through his birthday. And he's, he's uh, very alert, very healthy, at 100 years old. Um, just a fun little tidbit. He was the um, head medical officer doctor at Folsom Prison when Johnny Cash was there. Huh? <laughs> um, my first memory of him was playing on the shores of Folsom Lake while my parents were visiting my uncle in prison uh, as the doctor. Anyway, the fun thing about halfway through his 100th uh, birthday party, um, which wasn't too vigorous considering my uncle's 100 and my aunt's 95, um, as we were sitting around at my sister's place, my uncle, he looked at me and he said, I want to go for a ride on your motorcycle. <laughs> I said, okay. Uh, and I looked, at, uh, I looked at my two brother-in-laws and I said, you're going to have to help him on to the bike. Um, and so they did. Uh, my mother and, and uh, his sister, his two, his two sisters, were not there when he said this. And I think that was intentional because they knew that they were both opposed to it. <laughs> and um, so we, we walked uh, to the motorcycle, and they helped him on the bike. And, and he went for a ride with me. Um, when we came to a stop, the first words out of his mouth were, now I know why you like to do this. <laughs> it was great. Um, and then the next day, that was, um, that was Saturday. And then on Sunday, uh, for the first time in years, my mother, my two sisters, and all of our spouses had a wonderful time together, um, kind of a second family reunion after we'd had a family reunion with um, all of Cindy's mom's descendants. Uh, Cindy's mom is here today, um, uh, which is why we were gone a couple of Sundays ago. Well, then, um, after that was over, we left about 5 o'clock um, on the motorcycle to return home. We were um, about an hour out from Napa, California, beautiful wine country where my sister lives. 
rounding a corner um, at about, we'd slowed down to about 35, it was a sharp corner. Um, there was a branch, a large branch from a tree that had fallen and completely blocked the, our lane of the road and into the other lane. And um, I had a choice uh, that I had to make really quick. <laughs> Either go over the tree or lay the bike down and, um, and see what happened. So I laid the bike down. We were only going about 35 miles an hour. There's a lot of miracles and mercies that I could describe to you about how God um, worked so that I am sitting here this morning. Um, just a couple of them. One was just four days before we left on the trip, I had um, steel reinforced highway bars welded onto the bike. And the whole purpose of it was so I could stretch my legs out uh, for the trip. Um, it, that highway bar was mangled. Um, there was a, a divot in the road for the 30 yards that we drug on the, on the highway and um, absolutely protected our bodies from being mangled. Um, the, um, a car came the other direction, 60 miles an hour, one minute before we had to lay down the bike. He saw the whole thing in his rearview mirror and came running and helped us. You know, one minute later, he would have plowed into us because uh, we ended up on the ground uh, with my wife yelling, Dave, we got to get off the road. Um, hit the tree or go over the tree. Uh, you know, as we were laying there and I was yelling, Cindy, are you okay? That was the first thing that crossed my mind is what had happened to my wife? What had I done to my wife? <clears throat> uh, and coming out, it was just bruises and abrasions. Um, we're extremely thankful. But, I, you know, one of the most painful and lingering aspects of the accident wasn't physical. It was mental uh, and emotional. Uh, for the first 24, 48, 48 hours, all I could do was rehearse and remember and picture in my mind, go over and over and over and over in my mind the accident, trying to figure out, oh, could I have done anything? And just reliving it, how it could have been worse or how, you know, and... Um, over and over again, just that hopelessness and inability to do anything to prevent what happened, and that's laying the motorcycle down. As I was thinking about this and I was thinking about the message this morning, I was, I was wondering how many of us feel or have also felt such hopelessness as a believer, um, that there's nowhere to turn. You've already tried everything many times, over and over again, and, and it's always resulted in the same thing where you felt just failure or defeat or discouragement as a believer. Um, I know some of you feel that this morning, uh, hopeless, that your life is a never-ending cycle 
of victory and then failure again, triumph and then defeat again, hope and then hopelessness again, a cycle that will never be broken and, and you wonder if you'll ever be able to confidently live a life that is victoriously pleasing to God. The truth that I get out of the, these few verses here in 1 John, I captured it by this. Confidently living a life pleasing to God is both possible and imperative. Those are important words. It's both possible and imperative by daily living in light of who we are in Christ as children of God. See, the believers that John is writing to had been taught a lot of error. They'd been taught that the body's evil and that Christ wasn't a real man. And, and as a result of that, there's nothing that you can do about your sin or sin doesn't matter. And, and they become confused about what it really means to be a Christian or how to really live a life that's pleasing to God. And, and so John is reminding them of the truth and encouraging them again as children of God. In light of the false teaching that they've heard, I think there's a couple of errors that, that are going through their mind, and, and, and maybe it's where some of us are at this morning. The first is that it's impossible to live a life pleasing to God, that, that it's gonna just be a constant struggle that it's impossible to live a life pleasing to God because they keep failing in their attempts to do so. And they're constantly riddled with guilt and shame and, and doubting whether or not they're even really Christians. And so it's led them to a, a sense of futility to even keep trying at times and consequently a deep sense of hopelessness that they could ever really live a life pleasing to God because it's impossible. Maybe some of you are there this morning. That it's, it's not really possible. I'm just going to do the best I can. The second, it's almost a flip side of that, where I think some of them have come to, and maybe some of us this morning, is that it's not impossible, but it's, it's become unimportant. It's almost like they've resigned themselves, and, and so in their thinking, it's, as I was... Uh, finishing a book this week as we were um, healing at my sister's for a couple of days. Um, the book said that, and this book was talking about living a supernatural life, living a life um, like we read about in the Bible and how, how so often because we don't live such a life, we create doctrines that justify the life that we're living. And, and I think that's what they did and what we can do with our own lives is because we see that we're failing and we keep failing and, and life, it's, it's hopeless to live a life pleasing to God. We end up changing the wording or changing the meaning of what it means to please God. And, and we end up saying, well, it's not really, it's just, it's, it's insignificant. So we say, we just all need to do the best we can because that's all that can be expected, Right? 
and everyone sins, so it's not that big a deal, and, and maybe it's not even sin. And so we change the way we view things, and, and we say, you know, God understands our weaknesses, and he just expects us to the, do the best, and so we lower the standard because it's become impossible. The end result is struggling believers. And I've been this a lot of my life, struggling believers who never really experience the ongoing joy and victory in their lives that God intends for them to experience. And so John's response, I believe these, these verses here in John 2, 28 through 3, 10, and to repeat it, confidently living a life pleasing to God, confidently living a life pleasing to God is both possible and imperative by daily living in light of who we are in Christ as children of God. So let's look at the text uh, just briefly this morning. There's three things that I want, three key words that we're going to talk about uh, from this text that I, that I think are really important uh, in us living these lives that are pleasing to God. The first one is confidence. Um, and this is so important. Confidence. Look, look at verse 28. Dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Um, the point here is that we are able to live confident and bold lives as we live intimately in relationship with him. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident. That confident and bold lives are possible and are, are imperative if we're living in intimate relationship with Jesus. I love the, the message translation of this verse, and this is what it says. It says, Live deeply in Christ. That's continuum. Live deeply in Christ. You like, I, I love that. Then we will be ready for him when he appears. Ready to receive him with open arms and no cause for red-faced guilt or lame excuses when he arrives. You like that? Um and, I, and what I get from it, it's, it's time that we quit living our Christian lives like little kids whose hands are constantly in the cookie jar. <laughs> but instead live confident and bold lives in light of the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 7 again. Dear children, he says again, do not let anyone lead you astray. Do not let anyone lead you astray. The point here, well, just it says, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Don't let anyone lead you astray. The point here is that we will live confident lives pleasing to God when we live lives that are in relation to the truth and in intimacy with him. Verse 28 and verse 37, verse 7. How many times have we been derailed in our confident, bold, unabashed living for Jesus 
because of a book that somebody suggested we read or something someone has said or uh, the latest answer to living with hope that has derailed us in our relationship with God because it wasn't in line with God's word. The answer to hope and confidence and living a life that's pleasing to God isn't the latest book that comes out, but it's the truth of who we are in Jesus. That's just simply, so simply laid out in these, wor in, in these words that are listed here. Confidence. That's, that's really important. Not just, not just kind of slithering or sliding or stumbling our way through life, doing our best, but with confidence and boldness, pleasing God day by day by day. Confidence. Are you confidently living your life in a manner pleasing to God? And the focus right now is that confidence. Are you confidently walking through your days in relationship with Jesus? That's the first. The second is children, and the word appears several times here, and it's and it, and it's and it, it the theme pervades it. Notice, look at in verse twenty-eight, dear children, and then in chapter three, verses one and two. You know, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Dear friends, verse 2, we are children of God. Verse 7, dear children, and, and again in verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are. Children. Why, why is this important? Um, if we're going to live confident lives that are pleasing to Jesus, pleasing to our Heavenly Father, it's going to be because we are convinced that, that this is who we are. We're, we're God's children. We're God's children. In, in verse 28, in, in chapter 220 and verse 3, they add the word dear there. And in the original, the, the word dear isn't there. It's just there's, there's two words for child. The one is techna, which is the one we see in chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, Dear friends, now we are children. And that, that's the word techna. In 28 and in 7, the word is technia. And it, it's kind of the way Spanish works, if I understand my minimal Spanish, um, is, um, is you can have a word and you can have an, like an ITA on the end of it that kind of makes it a diminutive of the word. It's like it makes it little. Is that correct? Kind of generally okay. Um, well, that's what this is doing. This word techna that becomes technia, it's saying my precious children, my little children, my dear children. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word of affection on how is God is describing through John our relationship with him. We, we see it you know, overflow in, in, in verse 1 where it says, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us. We're children on whom God has lavished his love. We're his precious, his dear children. In verse, in verse 1, notice this, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We, we are a children who have such an intimacy with the Father, the world can't even comprehend it. Uh, 
they can look on it and yet they can't get it. It's such an such an intimacy. And then in verse 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And, and so it's we're children upon whom the Father has future designs that we ourselves can't even imagine. Do, you, do we get that? <laughs> that we're such children of our Heavenly Father? That's what we are. And, and he goes out of his way to say, that is what we are. It's because he knew they didn't get it. Because they're confused and struggling, like, am I even a child of God? And he's saying, it's what you are. Beyond what you can imagine, beyond what onlooking people can understand. Precious children of the Heavenly Father. And he says, when we get it, when we really get it, it'll change the way we live. Because in verse 3, it says, if we have this hope, we will purify ourselves just as he is pure. We'll want to be like him. Do you live in a daily conscious awareness that you're a precious child of God? That's hard for a lot of us. If, if we've grown up by hearing other things like, you're a loser, you'll never amount to anything, or haven't experienced the affection of a loving parent like God is to us. But this is, this is it. This is the truth. If we're going to confidently live a life that is pleasing to God and not one of failure and defeat and constant hopelessness, it's going to be because our confidence is in the fact that, man, we're his precious kids. That's what we are. And then the third thing, the focus is on Christ and, and who we are in him. And just three things I'd like to point out. Look at verse 29. It says, if you know that he, Jesus, is righteous, you know that everyone who is righteous or everyone who does right has been born of him. And, and what I'd like you to read here is when you read righteous, read pleasing to God. And that's kind of how I've translated it. Confidently living a life pleasing to God. We could say confidently living a righteous life, a life that is acceptable and pleasing to God. That's what righteousness means. It means I'm, I'm acceptable, I'm, I'm pleasing in God's sight. But do you get what he's saying? He's saying it is because we are born of him that we are righteous, that we are pleasing to God. It's not because of what we do or don't do. It's not because of how much we make or don't make, the car we drive, the friends we hang out with. It's because we've been born again, born from above, if we have. If you're here this morning and you've been born again, born from above, through a work of the Holy Spirit, opening your eyes to see Jesus so you've placed your faith in Him. You're a new creature in Christ. You're a new creation. You have a new nature, as Jesus described to Nicodemus many years before, where He said, you've you got to be born from above. You've got to be born again. That it's because we've been born again that we have this new nature, this new, call it heredity, that we're able to live a life 
that's pleasing to him. We're his, we're, we're blood, bought by the blood of Jesus. As, as Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, we're partakers of the divine nature. Can you wrap your mind around that? I can't. Partakers of the divine nature, that, that the nature of God, because of the new birth, because of what Jesus has purchased for me on the cross, I'm his. I belong to him. I'm family. I'm kin. I'm heredity. And that's what enables me to live a life pleasing to him. Can you see how that makes living a life pleasing to him possible? It's because he's righteous, he's pleasing to God, and I'm his. I belong to him. He's purchased me. I'm in him. And so I am also, because of him, pleasing to God. It makes it possible. It also makes it imperative. Look at verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right or what is not pleasing to God is not God's child. Because God's child has God's nature, it's therefore expected that God's child will act according to how God wants them to act. Second, look at verses... Uh, four to six in chapter three. Everyone who breaks the law, in fact, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, is breaking God's law. But you know that he, Jesus, appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. He's sinless. And no one, therefore, who lives in him keeps on sinning because they're in him the sinless one. No one who continues to sin has had their eyes open to see him and, or knows him. In Romans 6, 6, it says this, and this is, such, this is one of my favorite verses to understand this truth about how I can live pleasing to God because the price of sin has been paid and the power of sin has been broken. Romans 6, 6, it says, we know that our old self, our old nature... See, we're, we're new, we have a new nature now in Christ, a new heredity. Our old nature was crucified with him on the cross so that the body of sin, the body ruled by sin, might be done away with. And literally the word means rendered powerless. That we should no longer be slaves to sin, powerless to sin, hopeless and helpless to keep on sinning. And so in addition to his heredity, we also share in his victory. You see that? We share in his victory. He appeared so that he might take away sin, so that in him we don't have to keep on sinning. It's a fact that in Christ... The power of sin is broken. And so what I read here in these verses, it says then we don't have to, in fact, we must not see ourselves as sinners or those who have to sin. 
because the power of sin over us is broken. Our feelings of helplessness and hopelessness are rooted in the lies that we have come to believe based on our actions rather than in the reality of the real victory that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Do you believe that? It's so much easier, isn't it, to believe the lies based on our failures, based on our actions, instead of based on the truth of who we really are in Christ. And then third and finally, look at verses 8 and 9. It says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will therefore continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God because they are in him, the Son of God, who not only conquered sin, but has authority over everything. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he began it with the, the words, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he was saying is, I'm here, King Jesus. King Jesus is here. He's returned. He returned to restore his kingdom. And in Luke 19, 10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to restore what was lost because of the fall, because of sin. He came to restore. And that is exactly what he accomplished through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. And as it describes in Ephesians 1, far above all rule and authority and power in every name that is named. So that in addition to having his heredity, his nature, and his power over sin, we also have his authority. His seed is in us, and we are in him, and he is exalted above all rule and authority. There is nothing that can hinder us from living lives that are pleasing to him. Nothing. And that's what John's saying. It's both possible and, there, and, and it's imperative. Because we're his children. We have his nature, his power, and his authority. And so I think what John is saying is if we claim to be his children, we can and we must live lives that are confidently pleasing to him. It's who we are in Jesus. You know, uh, we all know, I know, I've lived a lot of my life not confidently understanding who I am in Jesus and, and determinedly going through my day understanding who I am and therefore confident in what I'm able to do and how I'm able to live. The enemy has done a, an amazing job, the devil, in keeping us from understanding and believing who we really are. And as a result, we fail to live confident lives, daily confident lives, pleasing to our Heavenly Father that He intends us to live. Um, I don't know about you, but I used to think that thinking poorly about myself was humility. Any of you ever been there? 
you know, they, uh, yeah, that's hogwash. <laughs> it's just plain old-fashioned unbelief about who I am in Jesus. When I get back on my motorcycle again, not if, when, just, uh, um, after I heal and, and it is healed, repaired. <laughs> um, you know, the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is with confidence. Knowing who I am. I'm a good motorcycle rider. I've put on 50,000 miles on motorcycles. Um, I know that I have the skill and I have the ability to ride. I had an accident, but that's not who I am. Do we get it? Maybe, maybe you came here this morning um, and you already screwed up this morning royally. <laughs> I remember, you know, growing up as a kid going to church and probably as a family, us going to church and, you know, the arguments you had on the way to church and then you show up and everybody's all, everything's hunky-dory. You know, maybe you had a really hard morning and you screwed up already this morning. But is that who you are? A screw-up? A loser? A failure? If that is what you think, that is how you will continue to function. But if you choose to allow these truths, God's truths, to permeate your thinking and dig your beliefs deep down into the person of Jesus and who you are in him, wow, what a difference. That's why I love how the message starts. Live deeply in him. Let your thinking, your thoughts, the way you think about yourself, dig deep into the truths of who Jesus is that you're his, you've got his nature, you've got his heredity, you've got his victory, you've got his authority. That's who we are. And so it's not just the power of positive thinking, it's not just wishful thinking, it's truthful thinking that that's how I can confidently live if I live understanding that's who I really am. And that's been hard for me. And it's been a, a lifelong for me process, and it'll continue to be a process for me thinking truthfully so that I can live victoriously. We are his dearly loved children. We are his dearly loved children, those of us who are in Christ. And he has given us everything we need to confidently live pleasing to him, his nature, his power over sin, and his authority. What's left? Let's live. <laughs> Let's live. Let's pray. Father, um, I just thank you again for your mercy to Cindy and I a week ago today. Uh, in so many ways, Father, your mercy uh, 
saving our lives and uh, allowing us to be here today. But Father, how much your mercy that you've shown us in Jesus is saving our lives and, and making life possible to really live. Father, help us to get it, to get who we are, to get how much you love us, to get how much you've done for us in Jesus. Everything that we need to live godly lives pleasing to you. Open our eyes to see Jesus, I pray, again. Not just once, but today and tomorrow and the next day. Father, daily living lives that dig deep into him. Thank you. Amen.